It is a beautiful sunny day today. It is the afternoon and I am back in the Netherlands after two weeks of vacation in the south of France, in the southern region of the Auvergne, which is a beautiful part of, of France, um, a volcanic area. So you've got lots and lots of hills, but they're kind of more exciting than regular hills because they are actually dormant or maybe dead volcanoes. Plus, it is a, an area with lots and lots of medieval churches. Some date back to the 9th century. Every village has a beautiful chapel. And because of the system in France where the government owns the churches, that is the, the walls, and the church takes care of the interior of the churches, all those churches are still there. So it's a fantastic and beautiful nature. Now, well, if you follow me on social media, you may have seen the photos Um, it was one of the best vacations I remember um, because we were right in the middle of a beautiful area. We didn't have to travel far, um, nor did we actually. So everything was close to home. We did a lot of um, uh, uh, excursions to, to, to churches and little towns. And I did a lot of walking and running, which was also super encouraging because, as you know, I've been trying to build up my energy, my fitness after uh, this, this terrible COVID year uh, that took so much away uh, on, on that level. And I was so happy that all my micro um, habits were sustainable during vacation. That, that is the, what surprised me the most and shows how, how, you know, how well this works. Um, and when I say micro uh, habits, I mean just the, the simple micro habit of going to bed at 10, waking up at 6. Because I did that, every morning I could go out for long runs. And, um, if I, and, and, and I, I turned that into a habit. So during my vacation, it was the same thing. Didn't stay up late, went to bed early. Um, you wake up early in the morning so it's still cool outside because of course it's the south of France so it can't get warm during the day but because I was up so early you know I could I could basically maintain my my marathon schedules only the last two days when we were already packing that I had to skip two runs but um, that alone just in the morning I was so energized I was really um, reaching the my peak state And then we had mass uh, at, uh, at nine in the local church of the village, where normally they would have one mass uh, every month because the local parish priest has 37 churches that he caters to. So obviously <laughs> none of those churches can have mass every week. So they were super happy that we were there. And we celebrated Mass every day, and there were always people. And on Sunday, they invited the entire village to come to church, and it was just great. But it's, it's such a difference to already have, you know, run outside and been outside. And then, you know, nine o'clock to me feels like halfway through, through the morning. And I don't know, it just it changed everything. And then we had, usually we had lunch afterwards, um, So, of course, just regular French bread, you know, with a pâté or, or jam. It's just perfect. It's exactly what I, what I associate with a vacation in France. But you hear our students here playing the guitar. 
the uh, this is the, the the back to school week. So all the universities. This is a university city. There is a big agricultural university nearby. All these students have been following their introduction week last week, and well, this is the first week of their new life for all those new students. And so they still have time and energy to go sing songs in the in the street. And why wouldn't they? I mean, life is going to turn ugly very soon <laughs> with all the work they will have to do. So they'd better enjoy the nice weather right now. So that was that was great. And plus all the other micro um, habits like uh, counting my calories, making sure that I just eat what is good for me, uh, and no alcohol. That was another huge change because normally on vacation, uh, one of the things that we always did was like, uh, sessions where we would uh, do whiskey tasting or wine comparisons and you know I the others they like they still like to do that I was like you know what I'm just going to skip that because I know that uh, especially in the evening when I drink alcohol it's going to mess up my sleep and even though I might sleep eight hours I'm not going to feel rested I need my energy back and so I skipped alcohol um, and that too just gave me a certain alertness and I slept so, so good, so well. And the funny thing is it was a tiny little village. It's a medieval town, um, basically less than 100 inhabitants. That's how small it is. It's on top of a, a protruding rock, uh, like formed by lava. And, and, and it's so the, the village itself almost looks like something straight out of a Lord of the Rings movie. Um, and the church, of course, at the end, and then around it, uh, the, these really, really old medieval barns and houses, and some of them are still, you know, abandoned and in ruins, and others have been turned into vacation uh, homes, or gites, as they call that in French. And we were staying in one of those, so the owner, the lady who manages that, uh, told us uh, that the, the, the rooms were going to be very small, um, she apologized. She said, it's more for monks, but since you're a priest, <laughs> I think you're going to be fine. And we were. And there, it, there is no light pollution. There is no, there is no traffic there because you can barely move. The, the streets were so narrow that uh, you know our car could barely uh, make the turns. And so at night, it's super silent. And because it's on a rock... You don't have insects, you don't have... Well, you hear crickets in the, in, the, in the distance, but they're all down below. So I've never had nights so quiet as during that vacation. What a huge change with the situation here in Wageningen, where, you know, in, in, on the loft, uh, straight in front of that, on the other side of the garden, is a big student home, and, well, they like to party, and they like to make a lot of noise. So... I was just reveling in the in the in the silence at night, and gosh, I, I I slept so well. Plus, another thing that I really enjoyed was um, this time, and it's also a first. I decided I am just going to make the most out of this vacation. For me, that also means I'm going to interview people. Not only am I going to film, which I've done almost every vacation, and I've regretted every single time I didn't film anything. So there are places that I visited in the past and I have no recollection of those places because I only took a few photos it was still in the time that I thought that 
you know, making media was a luxury and I shouldn't bother people with it on, on a holiday. And now I'm like, this is my, this is my lifeblood telling stories. And it makes me happy. So why, why wouldn't I do that during my vacation? So I took my professional camera gear with me. And wherever we came, I did interviews. So we visited this old city of uh, Puy-en-Vallée, which is actually, the name didn't really ring a bell, but it's one of the major pilgrim sites in French, in, in France. So this is comparable to Lourdes and Lisieux and you name it, Carcassonne maybe. Uh, and it was totally not on my radar turns out this is one of the important starting points for the Camino. So there's a very important pilgrim's route that starts there. And so we visited that city, beautiful medieval city, fantastic cathedral. And I just interviewed people. I was like, I saw this guy in the streets and, uh, and he was wearing kind of medieval garb. So I'm thinking, is he a street performer? But then he, he's standing in front of a, an institute for whatever. And so I approached him, and, and in French I demanded, you know, like, so do you do tours or something? Or, and, he, and he told me, you know, I'm, yeah, I, I give, uh, uh, like, I, I dress as an historical character. It could be a knight or it could be a pilgrim. And then I have inside here um, a room where we have the props that are made like replicas of, of the stuff that people would use in the Middle Ages. And my, my job is, is to turn history into something tangible, something alive. And, and so immediately I was like, uh, would you have a moment later today so you could tell me about the history of this city and maybe about pilgrimages? And, and he said, yeah, sure. And so an hour later... Um, I was running back to the place where I met the guy because I, we were having lunch and I forgot the time. And he specifically told me we have to be there at 3 because at 3.30 I've got another group that I have to entertain, but I have half an hour. And so like while I was going to eat my dessert, all of a sudden it strikes me like, oh my gosh, I've got to be there in five minutes. And then I started running through these uphill streets of... Uh, and I arrived completely out of breath there. Plus, it's a medieval town, so I, I took a few wrong turns, basically ran a, a, like half a marathon before I was there. But that's what I love to do. It's like living on the edge. And so completely out of breath, I managed to film half an hour. He had a great story. Um, I was walking backwards uphill towards the cathedral filming him while he was t telling the story about the city I was like this is insane I'm supposed to be on vacation and this is you know physically uh, already such a huge uh, effort but at the same time I'm enjoying this, this I love doing this uh, and especially in such a beautiful environment where wherever you point the camera it's beautiful and it evokes the stories that you're that you're telling and so I did that everywhere I came I was always trying to find people that could tell me something so I interviewed all the people of the village they told me their story on how they're trying to keep the church open despite the fact that you know the priest is, uh, is, is almost never there and how for them you know having a church that's always open for tourists it's important to them small stories 
and at the same time emblematic for what I think is uh, is the is the for, the forte the, the the strength of the church in France. It's this awareness that a church should be open and people should go in there and find God because God he, he is there and you feel that in those churches. So it was it was such a joy. Plus, I I kind of announced it in advance so my brothers knew that I was going to um, do these interviews and. So also that was a lot more easy than than it used to be when you know I was always filming, uh, at where whereas they just wanted to look around and then they were always always had to wait for me. Still happens from time to time, but they know now that it will result in a t- TV episode where you know they've they've seen a few of those uh, documentaries that I made on previous vacations, and so they know that the end result is is going to be worth it. So all in all. Fantastic vacation. I came back. It's a 10-hour drive, or even actually even more. So on the way to Auvergne, we, uh, we stopped around Nancy, Metz, and then we continued. So that was actually a lot more relaxed on the way back. Of course, we wanted to squeeze out every, every, uh, uh, every bit of, of vacation time that we had. So we did the the way back in one one day that was pretty fatiguing that was like 11 or 12 hours in the car um but you know at least we we made the most out of the vacation and then that was just friday friday we arrived very late it's now tuesday i've already worked during the weekend had to replace father henry for a number of masses and um uh yesterday i had a full day of work to start up the TV work stuff. And this morning I had to do a number of interviews and ah, just a lot of little bits that, you know, you have to do it before you can actually focus on something specific. There's a lot of housekeeping that needs to be done. And uh, I don't know what time it is right now. I think it's around 4 o'clock. Yeah, it's exactly 4 o'clock. That's why you hear the church bells in the distance. I was actually planning on going to the rectory in Benicom because, of course, while I was on vacation, work still continued. And so they painted the entire living room, uh, wallpapered it, painted it. The ceiling had to be restored. I think I've already told you about what a nightmare that was in terms of work. Um, so I, I was still managing all that stuff from my vacation uh, location in France. And... Other years I would have felt so burdened by that. Like I don't want to... When I'm on vacation I don't want to think about home. And now it was totally different. It was like, okay, I am just have to make a few decisions as to the renovation. And, you know, message sent. I'm back in France. And I had, there's no frustration. And it, it, it shows me how much I actually like it here. And how much being here is not a burden. It's not something I have to escape from by going on vacation. It's like, eh, it's the same part of the same world in which I enjoy walking around. So, plus, of course, uh, the, the renovation, that's all about my near future. So, um, that is supposed to be positive. But it's such a difference with previous years. And it also kind of makes me aware how toxic the situation had become in, in Amersfoort and how how much that took a toll on on my physical and spiritual and psychological health 
and and this year is so different. So, well, you all know how how much of a uh, how how difficult it was to to leave and the circumstances under which that, all that happened. Um, but now I'm looking back on it. I'm thinking this turn has turned into a blessing. I, there's no other way. I'm walking here on the dike here. As you know, I've described it many times. And there are flowers here on my right. I see the horizon. Uh, the river is on my right. On the left, the city is bathing in the sunlight. Uh, it's warm. The skies are blue, fluffy clouds. I, this is the same place where I ran my my morning training. And uh, uh, what's not to like? It's a fantastic place to be. And I'm so grateful that uh, ter- things turned out so well. So, yeah, I'm a happy man. And now all of that, of course, helps me also with the less happy moments where I have to take decisions and you've got all sorts of things that, like, the renovation is still not finished. Mm-hmm. It, it's getting there. Oh, that was, you hear that? Oh, that was uh, an insect flying around. There were actually still bees and you have different flowers than a few weeks ago. And so it attracts also, I don't know, other insects, I guess. Still pollinating. You still see the occasional butterfly also, although it's probably the end of the season for them. Um, but there are a few things that still need to be uh, done, uh, and a few of them are kind of causing some headache. The biggest problem is the uh, central heating system. So we we have to replace a number of those radiators, and uh, we had a company giving us a, a quote, which was incredibly expensive and I think it is because there is a lot of work so they can just basically ask whatever they want people will pay them anyway but this is different because I this is also my personal savings that I'm investing so um, I'm now trying to find uh, I already had found someone who wanted to take a look and give a quote but that person is like nah it's too much work I'm not going to do that so now I'm, again, looking for another company or another person who can help, um, and so forth and so on. And, and be, as long as those radiators are not installed, I can't move in because that's going to require, you know, drilling through the floor and all sorts of complicated stuff. Plus the whole system, you know, can't be booted up. The second thing that's currently going on uh, today and tomorrow is electricity. Uh, that also was one of the major, major elements of the renovation all the electricity has been redone uh, and modernized and brought up to speed but it was uh, so much more than initially planned so that's costly and it's complicated because you, you constantly have to make decisions and this is a type of guy who doesn't do anything without having had the order and sometimes I don't know anything about it so I ask for advice and he doesn't want to give it he's just just tell me what to do Okay. <laughs> so, but all in all, I think it's he's working, uh, he's doing a lot of the work today and tomorrow, and then hopefully I can still hire him to help with the, you know, the smaller stuff like, like light fixtures. Also, I want to have those IKEA. Uh, you have beams. Like I now have a huge living room, and one of the central places is going to be the dining table. 
So I finally have room to invite guests and, and also for board games. But you want to have good lighting on top of the table. However, you, you still want to have that flexibility of moving around the table every once in a while when you have a, you know, a greater number of guests. Or for instance, if I would invite my friends of the 501st, uh, the Star Wars costume people, uh, because I'm, you know, one of my first big projects in my new home is going to be to finally make my Stormtrooper, Stormtrooper costume. And so they do these build parties where a number of friends, and there are some that live here in the region, they will come over and help you uh, literally make the Stormtrooper costume. So I'll have, a, you know, a number, a size, a size, a size, a number of people in my living room. So I want to have a flexible lighting system as well. So you have these these um, kind of bars that you fix to the ceiling, and then you can you can just plug in the lamps. And even you know the uh, the lamps on a on a on a rope, you know that hang over the table. You can still move them around. That's what I need. But at the same time, IKEA tells you to hire a professional for that. It's not something you can do yourself. So. Eh. But that's not something I've, I've haven't, I don't know if he's going to do it or if he wants to. Lots of little things like that. The kitchen also, some of the cupboards need built-in lights. And it's, ah, it's just a, a complicated thing and I'm just not good at that. Plus I don't have time. So hopefully he can, uh, he can do that. So it's, it's a final stage. The, I have to go and pick my floors this week because of course that material also has to be ordered so I'm going to have PVC downstairs the living room now has uh, the laminate floor that I had in my previous rectory which is kind of a wooden floor it's kind of oak colored it looks beautiful we uh, we had to throw away like half of it because of course it was already on the floor in a different in a, in a number of rooms so all the end parts the parts that had already been uh, made kind of uh, made to fit the previous rooms we had to throw them away buy some extra laminates but now it's in the room and it looks gorgeous it, I'm so happy and I've got my little hobbit corner so one of the things I want is I want to have a, a a place where I can read books and it has to feel like a hobbit hole and there was this one protrusion of the living room so it's, it's basically a huge rectangular shape but on the end uh, is a little slight L. So there's a tiny space. It's, it's really just two meters uh, in, in, in all directions. So it, t- it makes for a very tiny L. But that has a small window. And this is where the, 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 the first parish priest who built the rectory had his desk. Um, so there is place for you know a small desk there's a radiator under the window so you can't put anything there and then there's a there's a blank wall and in my mind i like during my vacation i was thinking how am i gonna uh paint the walls because i wanted the living room to feel warm and so i right before i left i'd picked finally picked after a long long deliberation two matching colors so one off-white that is a little bit beige but not too much so you just get that tiny bit of contrast with the white of the of the woodwork around the around the doors and then i picked a 
walnut type of brown, kind of on the lighter side, so not dark brown, because that, you know, can sometimes be a little bit too, uh, too harsh. And, and I had to pick the walls that I was going to paint brown. It's like, yeah, I know that a contrast color works, but which walls? Because basically, because it's so rectangular and there's two facing walls that have doors and windows, what I remembered was never use those walls for, for, for contrast, but use a wall. For instance, if you want to make the room feel a little bit smaller, you got to take the wall that you want to bring closer. You have to paint that one. So that was going to be the wall uh, of, the, of the kitchen uh, that gives access to the kitchen. There's a door to the kitchen. Um, so I painted that one. I had the painter do that one brown. And then I was like, you know what? If you want to create a, like a separate place that feels different than the rest of the big living room, I'm going to pick that little hobbit corner and I'm going to pick, I'm going to make it also brown, but I'm going to add a, uh, uh, how do you call it? A ch- a ch- not a chimney, but a hearth. Hearth? Uh, so I've got this fake fireplace, or at least the, the little built-in thing. The, but I didn't, I, I never got around uh, building it into the existing fireplace in the old rectory. Uh, because, well, I can't do it myself and I couldn't find volunteers to do it for me. So I still have that fake chimney thing or fireplace, uh, which is actually quite, quite nice. It's, it's, uh, you, you always see that it's fake, but this one looks a little, little less fake than most of these, uh, these things. And plus, but that, they also sell uh, like a, a wooden enclosure that you put against the wall and then it, it creates like a, a, a more... Uh, convincing illusion. I was like, okay, I want that. I want a little corner, and the white of the um, of the what is it? The the, the, the thing you build around the fake uh, fireplace uh, will contrast nicely with the brown of the wall. And so, and then I'm just going to put either I'm going to put my desk there because it's nice still to have a, a desk where you can sit and write and uh, do correspondence instead of having always to go upstairs. Oftentimes, there's just small stuff. Mail, for instance, you want to just check that downstairs. On the other hand, I can also just leave out the the desk and put the nice sofas there so I can just sit with my feet uh, near near the fake fireplace. And there's something so hobbity about it. And... uh, and then I had a sleepless night in France because I was like, oh, I picked the wrong colors. This is ridiculous. Why did I ever think of that? It's not going to work. And then I came back from vacation. First thing I did, of course, was to look at the end result. And I was like, wow, this works. This is exactly what I hoped it would be. So, uh, and plus, and an added advantage is, now that I see what the colors do, I can totally imagine that as a, for instance, like a little YouTube corner where, you know, if I want to do a, a commentary video or just a chat with, uh, with my followers, it, it just has this great vibe of a very cozy little corner because um, the rest of the house is it's all very squarish. And I, I did create a, a room where I could eventually maybe also f- do the Lego streaming. So it's got a good internet connection. But for all the other stuff, you want to have something that feels a bit more homely and has color and 
you know, like there's a fireplace in the in the in the background, slightly out of focus. I can totally picture the whole thing. It's it's amazing. Um, so it's it's cool to see that, despite the gargantuan job it was to renovate the whole thing, it, we're in the end phase. And this is I, I still have trouble believing that one day I'll live there, because well, you know, as long as the electricity isn't done and the kitchen isn't isn't ready, it still looks like a more like a workplace than a than a home. But I, I think it's going to be great. I, um, I found a, a very cool IKEA planner. Uh, it's not available in all countries, but this one was from Morocco, of all places. So IKEA Morocco has a planner. Uh, they, they do have the kitchen planner where you can create like a digital version of the, of, of the kitchen. I use that to fit in the old kitchen and make it work. They don't offer that for living rooms, except on that French Moroccan website. And so I, uh, I, I put in the measurements and I was able to juggle around with some furniture that looks like mine and, and create something that I like. And that, that alone, just seeing the space with the dimensions, the exact dimensions that it has, and then being able to place your bookshelves in there. And, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I know what works. I'm going to put two couches there. I want to have a nice seating area. There's going to be a TV opposite of that. But it's not too uh, intrusive. Um, and, and it's so funny. It's just like I'm a super visual person. So being able to juggle around the furniture in 3D helped so much in figuring out how I wanted the living room to feel. And also, in a certain way, is it, you know, it's making me excited. And I was like, this is going to be the best house ever. So so cozy and at the same time it's it's roomy enough for friends for board game evenings i can totally picture it so oh my goodness <laughs> it is it is a, a, just a great um i say a, a a a great carrot to run after for this last phase where so much has to be done and so many decisions i'm totally tired of, of of all these decisions that, that's been the hardest part because um, of course I had people who did everything but I have to conceptualize it and and tell people okay I want this there and that color and that and I'm I normally you take a few of those decisions every year now I had to take like 10 20 decisions per per month and sometimes per day and it's exhausting because every time you're like, oh, but th- this is pretty definitive. If I do this, I'm going to have to deal with it for the rest of my stay in this house. So you want it's, to, it's hard for someone who is very, you know, has a tendency to be perfectionistic to, uh, to make these quick decisions. And at the same time, I couldn't afford waiting too long with all that stuff and for some of the stuff, I, I try to push it away as much as I could just to give myself time, like, for instance, the colors of the living room. Because I knew that so much of how a room feels depends on colors, depends on how you arrange the living room. It's the most important room of the, of the house. But I'm glad that I took my time and I'm glad that it actually looks the way I, I envisioned it. And, oh my gosh, I can't... Can't wait to show you how it looks when 
when we put the furniture in. I think it's going to be awesome. So, ah, a lot to look forward to. In the meantime, I'll still have to uh, survive this uh, last month here because I hope to move over on October the 1st. That's the date that I picked because of it's the feast day of Saint Therese of Lisieux. Saint Therese de Lisieux en français. Uh, for me, that is just a symbolic date. Uh, she played a big role in, in the, be the beginning of my vocation story. And there are just moments in my life where October the 1st, I think it was also the, the first day of my uh, work in Amersfoort years and years ago when I came back from, from Italy. And so the, she's been kind of the, uh, the, the symbol of, of new beginnings. And for me, this is a huge new beginning, even though I already live here for half a year now. But having a home again after half a year, that's going to be majorly important to to uh, my well-being and I don't know just being being done with the renovation I think is going to create a lot of room in my mind for for new projects and I just can't wait to to uh, to get there still a little bit of patience patience is a virtue but it's a hard one for me because I I'm kind of uh, done waiting all right crossing the road here it's getting warm the sun is now brightly shining, so I'm now walking into the park with the trees and stuff. So I have some shade, which is nice and cool. But uh, the environment here, the whole region is very hobbity. It's very much, you know, Shire-like, and I do a lot of running now and a lot of walking. Oh, by the way, speak of, on the topic of running, um, I knew, of course, that the training that I did so far was already more intense than, than anything I've done before because the area where I'm currently, I'm currently walking actually up a hill and you feel that in your legs. I'm, I've never trained on anything but a, a flat surface. Uh, for this training, uh, I've been running in the hills and it almost gave me an injury at first because I was un underestimating the impact that hills have on your sheens, on your, your joints and everything. But then, for two weeks, I trained in France. These, what I'm walking on here is nothing compared to the kind of mountains uh, in the area where I was running. I remember one of the first days I had to do, um, I think it was a 10K or something like that, Six o'clock in the morning, I start running. I've no, I haven't scouted the area yet, and so everything, everybody's asleep. I only have my phone with me for the GPS, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to go this way, and that'll make exactly ten kilometers. And at first, it's just a sl slight slope upwards, and then it starts to just climb, and it's normally something I would have trouble walking on let alone running but i was like okay i'm gonna see how much i i've how much the training in the hills of, of wageningen um have have uh, uh have improved my strength so i ran up that mountain and it just continued to climb and climb and climb and i was like okay even if i have to just do take tiny little steps. I'm not going to walk. I will keep running, but I will just 
diminish the distance between every step. So it was a very f funny sight, I suppose. But I did manage to run up the entire mountain. And then on top of the mountain, everything was flat. It just looked like the Netherlands. And then I ran down that same mountain. And the speed, my speed was down to zero when I went up. But then when I went down, I went at breakneck speed. Actually, I, I think I gave my, um, my poor guardian angel a heart attack if it had a physical heart <laughs> by by running because the 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 road was that was just it was you know just stones there's everything was uh unstable and yet i i ran down i don't think i've ever had a pace that fast and so the total amount the total pace was vastly superior to anything i'd done before so i'm still thinking this is because i'm going downhill you know, uh, we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's, I don't think I'm going to be very successful with the training, but as long as I can just do the miles or the kilometers, that's fine with me. And um, so last Sunday, hey, little doggy, last Sunday, I had to uh, run the longest distance so far. So I'm now getting in the stage. The, the marathon is in, in October. Um, so the final stage, you get to run these long distances where it's mostly a mental game. Physically, you can do it, but it's a mental game. Can you stay focused on your pace, on your speed? I've never really cared that much for it. Normally, I would listen to audiobooks. And now I'm training really for, for speed because I want to at least train for a good overall um, uh, time. So... <laughs> I, the last marathon that I ran was my fastest ever. It was in Amsterdam. But the one before, the Rotterdam Marathon, which I'm going to run in October, if all goes well, that was my slowest ever. And I barely made it to the finish. And so I vowed I want to at least equal what I did in Amsterdam. Um, that's why I've been so consistent in my training. So I come back from France and... Uh, this Sunday I had to replace Father Henry for the International Mass at 1. But the training schedule said you have to run 30.5 kilometers. Which is 3 hours, I think it's 3.5 hours in total. Uh, based on the kind of speed that, I, that I'm training for. So I start running and I run actually all the way to Arnhem. Which is the big city uh, known for the failed attempt by the Allied forces in, during Second World War to liberate the Netherlands in 44. A bridge too far, that, that city. So I run to Arnhem. I run back. And when I look, finally look at the end result, I have, like, it's an insane pace for me. I ran it within three hours and... Uh, at a speed and, and the, the road to Arne, Arnhem is also full of hills but I just didn't even feel them I didn't have to stop one single time to drink a sip of water it was a rainy day, it was cold typical Dutch summer weather and I ran one of my fastest races ever and I'm like yes, you see France has given me extra power <laughs> and even this morning 
when I ran just an 8K, I was able to maintain a speed of, what was it, 5 minutes and 20 seconds per, per kilometer. Whereas normally I could barely do 6 minutes and 30 seconds. So I'm just, wow. I did not expect two weeks of rest and training in the mountains would give me such an edge on my previous uh, uh, sports, uh, what is it, Press, uh, sports results. So it's looking good. Of course, anything can go wrong on race day itself. doesn't matter. But I'm still super glad. And in a certain way, this is also a victory over what COVID did. And I, I remember how exhausted I would be every single day for months how much I was uh, piling on the, the, the pounds weight-wise, how much I, I felt like I'm never going to be- get back to my, my old form. And now I'm actually in a better shape than I've ever been before. I'm running faster than I've ever run. And I'm 53 years old. I'm also shedding the weight. So this is the first vacation where I actually lost weight instead of gaining it. Um, and I just got a, uh, a, a, a what is it a message from my tracker that since I started this particular journey that was a couple of months ago, started to really count the calories and, and work physically to to uh, become lighter. I've I've lost nine kilos, so that's um, what is it eighteen pounds, a little more. That's not all too shabby, and I can feel it. And I'm not even there yet because my Chinese tracker tells me that for my size and age, I should weigh 66 kilograms. The last time I weighed 66 kilograms was probably in high school. (laughs) But I am determined to continue um, to, to get to that optimum weight, if only for you know, the, for the running itself. And, uh, and I know I can do it. But it, it's, it's more than just counting calories. It's also this mind shift. And I wanted to talk about this in, this, in, the, in the kitchen segment of the podcast I record for my patrons. Uh, that somehow making the change to eating healthy um, has, has given me a, almost an aversion against junk food. And against uh, the stuff that I used to eat all the time, like potato chips and that sort of stuff, uh, even sugary drinks. The I like before I went on vacation. There was uh, I think it was some leftover stuff from Father Henry's birthday, and it was the weekend, and I was going to watch um, what is it, Jungle the Jungle Cruise movie on Disney Plus. Uh, to review it on the on the podcast and I had opened a bag of chips and I was like oh, I'm running I, I I can deal with it I have some calorie room and after a few bites I was like this is so salty and I it is really I don't like this stuff anymore it was so weird it was just I just I closed the bag and I put it back in the kitchen I was like I can't believe that I ate this for for a living <laughs> it's so funny how like a a, a a different mindset and focusing on just eating what is good for me and what and it doesn't mean that it has to taste ugly this morning i made a 
uh, another one of those breakfast burritos. I saw a video on TikTok and I tried to replicate it, which I failed at miserably. Um, so the whole thing, the whole taco was, was burnt. So I threw it away. Uh, but fortunately, the contents, the, the, those tomatoes and eggs and uh, some spinach, that all was salvageable. It's actually a very tasty start of the day and much more interesting than what I normally would eat in the morning where it's just usually two slices of bread and then some, you know, some ham or cheese, some, some, uh, some, some uh, what is it, uh, strawberry jam. Uh, usually it's very disappointing breakfast, but now that I'm always trying to, to uh, mix in some veggies, um, I, uh, breakfast is so much more it's filling and it's more fulfilling because I'm eating something interesting. I saw another video the other day of a, a guy who's actually eating, I think, a Chinese breakfast where it's just rice and it's uh, like stuff that I don't associate with breakfast at all. But I was watching it. It was mouth-watering. I, uh, I was like, why would I eat a Dutch breakfast when I can cook myself breakfast? So, anyway... <laughs> I love to try out new stuff. It feels like I'm in this phase of my life where, where I can just make some, some radical changes and it, it, and it works. Because oftentimes in the past when I tried to make changes, it would just revert, which is super frustrating. Whereas now I'm, I think that I'm, especially thanks to the micro habits, I'm making some changes that are really lasting throughout the entire vacation. Another example, reading. I always, on vacation, I take books with me and I'm telling myself, I'm going to read this book, I'm going to read that book. And ultimately, I end up not reading at all. This time, because of all the walks and the runs, I constantly was listening to audiobooks and I had the Google Book app read the uh, Wheel of Time book that I'm currently reading, the, the, the Dragon Reborn. Uh, it's, I think it's the third, yeah, third book. Uh, to me, so I, I plowed through hundreds of pages during my vacation. That's another thing that I've never succeeded at before. But now I have this, this part of my lifestyle and part of the rhythm. Around 5 o'clock in the afternoon, I, I listen to a book or I read a book if I, I can't listen to it. And uh, I also finished a book about sleep. Uh, the book is called Why We Sleep. I highly recommend it. That has been a game changer in my life as well. Now that I understand what sleep is for and how much of an impact it has, I'm guarding my sleep. I'm protecting my sleep more than anything else. And I was like, that's why on vacation it was so easy to say, I am going to bed at 10 o'clock and I wake up at 6 because I know that I, the sleep is going to contribute to my overall health, my well-being, my, my overall mood as well. And even mosquitoes couldn't take that away from me. There's one night I was just falling asleep and I hear this. And I knew I'm lost because the walls of the, of the cottage were, uh, were not flat, but they were, they had been treated with, with something, you know, it was this almost looked like lava stone or so lots and lots of shadows. You turn on the light. The only thing you see is shadows. You see, you can't spot a mosquito, even if I had a, a, a telescope with me. <laughs> so 
I was like, what am I going to do? If I'm going to open the window, he's going to, you know, he's going to invite his friends. Um, I can't stay up. I'm not going to chase after this mosquito. You know what? I'm just going to put earplugs in and let him, let him, uh, you know, use me as his takeout order of the night. I don't care. Just a little thing. I'm not going to feel it anyway, except for the next morning, but then I can deal with it. Um, but I need my sleep right now, so I just put earplugs in and, well, I don't think he even bit me. But and that's been my strategy, you know, sleep before anything else. And, uh, and it's thanks to that book. I'm now currently reading another book on sleep, a Dutch book, which is more goes kind of to the root of a lot of sleep problems that people have, where it's, it's not just getting better sleep. It's not just about sleep rituals and, you know, certain teas that you have to drink or avoiding alcohol or coffee. Um, but it's also about, you know, what is your overall lifestyle? The quality of your sleep depends on the entire way in which you live your life. So it also has to do with ambition, with uh, stress. Uh, I read another book. So I, I, I think I've read like four or five books in two weeks, which is very good for my overall, um, uh, what is it, uh, Goodreads challenge for 2021, where I think I have to read like 56 books or something like that. Anyway, I'm going to make it. I can do it. So I was reading this other book about minimalism, it was also a Dutch book, surprisingly well-written, which actually goes way beyond just the tricks of how do you throw away stuff. And it was all about minimalism is also, it's not just something you should apply to your stuff. It's not about having white walls in your room. It, you have to, minimalism is a way of life. And it's actually, you should call it more essentialism. It's going to the, what is truly essential? What is truly what what you want, what has the most value for you and for the people around you. And then he describes his own, the guy who writes it, describes his own life a few years ago where it was all about working overtime, making more money, having this big mortgage that he wanted to pay off because he, you know, he thought he needed a big house. And then it, it just clicked with him that his lifestyle was making him unhappy because he was chasing the wrong stuff. I was like, I could probably work less sure i'll earn less but i can move i'll and of course not everyone is as fortunate as he was so he moved into a smaller house and the quality of life that he has by having more time for himself actually makes him appreciate his life much more than before and and so he's like totally happy with not making as much money as he used to make because what makes him happy is not the money it's not the big house it's this, this other way of, of dealing with your life and your priorities. And that, for me, was also an encouragement and a confirmation of the process that I'm currently in. Um, you know, I'm, I'm no longer really running after even more TV work. I prefer to focus on a few things, do them really well. And yes, that may actually have implications for my, uh, my overall, uh, the amount of money that I make. But I wasn't making it for myself anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm making the, all the money that I earn goes to, uh, to Tridio. And Tridio makes it possible for me to do this work and can also finance uh, other people that I need to employ or other projects that I'm pursuing. But I'm not working 
for to keep a machine running. I'm working. I want to do work that I think is going to make a difference in people's lives. It's going to make a difference in my life. And I know I I know that working too hard and trying to do too much is detrimental to my overall you know health and 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 enjoyment. So all these it all connects. And if you if you apply minimalism to your own ambitions it will create a more peaceful life that will have a huge impact on your sleep as well um, letting go is not just something that applies to stuff it applies to a lot of your ambitions as well as long as you keep focused on what is your vocation your calling and if I have to translate that to a spiritual level God will never overcharge us he will never um, ask more of us than we can do and if he sometimes asks you to do the impossible he will give you the grace to do it so it will still not be depending on you and on your own strength but if you're depleting yourself at the very end you won't be able to give anyone anything anymore that's kind of where the process that I'm in discerning what is going to be my uh, the, the, the type of work the type of project that works for me and that is sustainable it's a big truck here unloading for the bar on the left, a lounge uh, bowl. They call it bowl. What's the equivalent of a bowl? It's a drink. A bar where you can have a drink. <laughs> we call it a bowl for some reason. I think it, it, it refers to uh, uh, like a classic Dutch um, uh, concoction. It's kind of distilled alcohol. It's a bit like whiskey, but not as deep. And we call that a bowl. So, bowl time is like 5 o'clock in the evening. And, uh, well, anyway, I'm not going to take a drink anyway. I'm just saying goodbye to the father of Eric. Uh, you may remember Eric. He, was, uh, he is a seminarian, and he did his internship here in the parish. And the bishop has uh, nominated him or appointed him for this parish for the next couple of years. So, I'm super excited. He's going to be ordained a deacon Later this year, a priest, uh, God willing, next year. Um, and Eric is not, going, not just going to be a fellow priest here in Paris. He's also a fellow board geek, board game geek, and a huge reader. He has already finished the entire Wheel of Time. Uh, lots of, he's, he's read a ton of other you know, great fantasy novels and stuff. So it's fantastic to have a partner in crime when it comes to all these eccentric things that I that I love and I always thought I was the only one and now I know that I'm not an exception uh, so we have ample ample uh, stuff to talk about in the future and he's actually moving in because uh, he's they're now looking for an apartment for him so he's currently uh, going to stay just like me again in a loft in the attic <laughs> and hopefully he can find a, a nice home uh, these people are playing jeu de boule I'm not sure if you know that in America. Uh, jeu de boule is a French game. You play that with uh, b- balls of, of, of uh, iron and a tiny little ball. You throw. For, you first throw the tiny little ball and then all the players have to get their bigger uh, uh, metal balls as close as possible to the little tiny ball. So you barely ever see that in the Netherlands. I saw it a lot in France. It's still a popular pastime for, for, for anyone in France. But now here next to the church, they're playing that as well. Maybe I should join them. After all, 
I'm almost like a French uh, pastor myself. Anyway, that's what I wanted to share with you. Thank you so much for uh, joining me on this nice afternoon walk. I, uh, I could do a ton of work after this, and I'm deciding right now that nope, it is time for me to open a book and read. And the rest of the day is mine, because if there's something I've learned during this vacation and these past few months is uh, investing in yourself is just as important as investing in your, in, in your, uh, in your vocation and in friends and in, in God. Uh, it has to be in, you know, balanced and never, never forget to recharge your own batteries. If you don't receive, you cannot give. Anyway, that's what I wanted to share. I'm starting to repeat myself. I apologize. Uh, thanks to those of you that are following me in the Patreon community. I'll be uh, joining the Discord server uh, more often now that I'm back. And uh, I'll keep you up to speed with all the exciting stuff that is coming soon to a mobile device or a computer near you. (laughs) Take care. God bless.